Um, I am excited about uh, this morning, but uh, one of the reasons I'm excited about this morning, if you saw the front cover of the bulletin, how many of you saw that? Some of you don't even look at it, come on. But, but for those of you that do, that today is actually the exact date that 21 years ago New Community received its incorporation, and uh, so it is officially today, New Community, 21 years old. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is, uh, it's amazing to uh, kind of reflect back and think. And obviously, I have not been here for 21 years. I've been here for five and a half and just feel so privileged to be a part of this community. But if you look back on the 21 years that it's been here, uh, the, it founded on mission and discipleship, a desire to make a difference in this world for Christ, to be the kingdom of God realized among uh, this city Um, And just to even look around the room, as I was sitting in the back, just thinking about people who are deeply on mission in this city, whether it's working um, with at-risk youth or whether it's uh, traveling and moving to Elkhart or just getting back from Nepal this last week or uh, spending the last year in Thailand and then coming home and I mean, just if we look around the room or if we just think about this community and the groups and the impact in the city, uh, I honestly am very, very privileged to be a part of this community. I think uh, it was founded with this desire to say, if, if new community didn't exist at some point in the future, if like, you know, another 10 years from now and, and it just went away, would there be an impact or would there be something missing in the city? And I, I honestly think there would be. I think that the, um, the things that God is doing through this community are pretty profound. And so whether you've been here for 10 years or three months, um, I think you're a part of a community that is, is really, I believe, making a huge difference in this city and, and around the world. So a little celebration there for 21 years. Um, what I want to do is uh, speak on this subject of peace. We've been looking through four themes for um, Advent, and I want to start off by just reflecting on a quote, all right? It's a little quote that says this, Lord, it is nearly midnight, and I am waiting for you in the darkness and the great silence. It's nearly midnight, and I'm waiting for you in the darkness and the great silence. For me, this particular quote captures the idea of Advent. But really, there's probably no better way to say it than to say, like, Lord, we're waiting still. It's almost midnight. Time is running out. I feel like we're, we're just waiting and waiting. This Mayan thing didn't even work out. Like, at some point, you should be showing up. At some point, you should be coming. That we're in the darkness. We're in the silence. Why, why are we sitting here like this? Because the Advent is about darkness and about waiting. It's really about those two ideas. That waiting, that we are waiting for His arrival, that we sit between these two comings, the coming of Jesus as a child, and then the coming of Christ as King at some point. So we are in this season of waiting, but we're also in this season of darkness. And it's a darkness with the anticipation of light. That's why we light the candles. It's why we have this hope that there's the midst of darkness, but we kind of see off in the distance a light that's approaching. 
What's interesting is darkness has always been present, but God at one point spoke and said, let there be light, and He started what is a rhythm that has ordered our whole interaction with the world. That in the daylight, we're active and alive and doing things, and then at night, there's supposed to be this season of rest and quiet and still in the darkness. I remember uh, a couple summers ago, I had the privilege of going to Africa, and uh, I was speaking at a conference. We got done with a conference. It was the last night of the conference, and we went to uh, the founder of this organization. Uh, We went to his house, and we were in Uganda. Kampala, Uganda was the capital city. We drove about 30 to 45 minutes outside of the city, and uh, we went to his house, and he lives on this farm And um, we're in the middle of nowhere, and it is pitch black. I mean, you you look for miles, and all you see is a few little fires off in the distance, but everything else is dark. I mean, you can barely see 10 feet in front of you. I'm glad that I'm with a crowd of people, because I I have no idea what's in the bushes. And and I'm, I'm there, and we're sitting around this little fire. We're cooking some food. We're talking about the week. And I remember looking up into the sky and probably seeing more vividly than I ever have before the stars. I mean, they're shining like diamonds. They're just radiant. They're beautiful. They're, I mean, there's this scene that, like, you just go, wow, there is beauty in the midst of of the darkness. There's this light that's drawing us closer. And then I started thinking about how we fight this rhythm of light and dark. We fight the rhythm of light and dark. Here's what I mean. Today, scientists say that we suffer from light pollution. It would have been just a a staggering thing to even imagine a hundred years Ago, but we are oversaturated with illumination. We flood ourselves with light, whether it's street lamps, buildings that never go dark, digital displays, TVs, computers, e-readers, car headlights. What we're doing is fighting against this idea of Advent, because Advent strikes against our very makeup. We tend not to like waiting, and we tend to fear the dark. And so we find ourselves thinking about words like waiting, patience, resting, quiet, darkness, and these things are not our forte. They're not my forte. And Advent speaks to us at this time about these postures, but it also speaks to us about what we've been looking at. Hope, love, joy, and peace. Kevin spoke to the idea of hope and it being one of the most forgotten of the themes. We heard a homily on love. We experienced joy as we watched the children's program. And this morning we speak about, or we look at this idea of peace. And I would say that peace is the most elusive of the Advent themes. It seems to be the one that you try to grab a hold of and it kind of slips through your fingers. That peace is elusive. And usually when we think of peace, 
I think we think of the opposite of war, or we think of the absence of conflict, but I'm going to argue for a moment that the antonym of peace is really fear. So it's not just war, it's not about conflict, but it's actually about fear. It's been said that we live in an age of overt anxiety. That worry has been described as the official emotion of our generation and the most pervasive psychological problem of our time. This idea of fear or this lack of peace shows up throughout the Christmas story. I don't know if you've taken time to reflect on all of it, but the Christmas story, one of the most repeated phrases throughout the story is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In fact, it's the statement that's been given to every one of the major players in the story. Let me walk through them really quick. You have Zechariah. He's at the temple. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. A little while later, God shows up to Mary. He's telling her about the fact that she's going to conceive of a child. And in the midst of that, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't fear. There's nothing to worry about. He shows up to an anxious Joseph. Joseph's freaking out. He hears the news about Mary. And the angel shows up and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid. And then last but not least, many of us are familiar with the shepherds who are out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And it says that they were sore afraid. The angel said this, In the same region as they were keeping watch over their flocks by night, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Each of the main characters was told, Fear not. Fear not. So the question that I've been wrestling with this last week is, how do we find peace in a society that promotes fear? Or how do we have peace during an Advent season that's all about darkness and waiting? And what I want to suggest is three realities that if we keep them front and center during this Advent season, we'll focus our attention toward this idea of peace. All right, three realities. The first one is simply this, that Christ himself is our peace. I think this is something that we often take for granted or overlook, but the incarnation, the fact that Jesus came, created a whole new reality for us. Something that wasn't able to be present before was present now in Jesus. And that makes central to this whole idea that Jesus brought Himself, and by bringing Himself, He opened the the opportunity for us to have peace with God. That there was a point where it was impossible for us to have peace with God. It was impossible for us to be in right relationship with Him until Christ showed up. Ephesians talks about this idea. It says this, 
in Ephesians chapter 2, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. Romans chapter 5 echoes that idea. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a concept that for many of us in the room is one that we're very familiar with. But central to the Gospel is this idea that without Jesus, we are without peace. And that first coming makes this truth a reality. That Christ came, and there is the hope for peace. The second idea related to peace that I want us to think on is this, that fear, the opposite of peace, fear ruptures discipleship. Fear ruptures discipleship. Fear is a spiritual issue, and I believe in many ways it was something that the angels were trying to dispel simply so that the people in the Christmas story would actually live in to the reality of what they were called to do. See, fear is spiritual insofar as that it shapes the kind of people that we are becoming. Fear does that. Fear has a subtle way of tempting us to make safety and self-preservation our highest goals. That if I can just be safe, if I can protect myself, if I could, if I could kind of like hunker down and, and put everything away and not fear it any longer, fear makes us kind of close in. I was starting to think this last week about the angels. So the angels show up on the scene, they come to someone and they say right away, in their statement, do not fear. And I started wondering, is there more reasons for them to say do not fear other than just maybe their appearance was frightening? Maybe they came and said, do not fear because right away we would like freak out because there's this angel in front of us. Or because the shepherds are on the hill and a starry host, it says, of angels is there and they're going, man, I'm freaking out in this moment. And so the angels right away say do not fear. Or perhaps... There's more to it than that. Perhaps quieting fear is required in order for us to hear what God asks of us. Maybe us quieting fear is what's necessary for us to actually live into what He's called us to do. I think there's biblical examples of it. If you look at Abraham and Sarah, He says, I want you to leave everything and come to a new land. But as he tells him that, he says, do not be afraid. To Isaac, to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon, it's echoed again and again and again, fear not. I mean, for any one of them, if fear began to grip their heart and their life, they would have backed down from the task that they were being called to. So I think fear makes it difficult to embrace the vulnerability of discipleship. So we're asked to follow. And that's risky. It's risky. And so what happens is we end up replacing 
this ethic of risk with an ethic of security. We begin to contract rather than expand. We begin to limit or we create false ceilings or we say it's not possible. And so fear starts to change our generosity. We become tight-fisted with our resources. We lose our ability to love our enemies or to love those who are not being generous with us. We lose, I think, our willingness to step out in faith, to take chances, to risk. I started thinking about this idea of fear and this rupturing of discipleship. And if we're going to live into the next 21 years as a community, we have to be, I believe, a community that writes our story with risk involved. Not one that figures out how to make it safe or to be sheltered, but rather to explore all the possibilities that God has. And that's only possible with peace. Which builds on this final thought. Peace flows from the character of God. Peace flows from the character of God. See, when each one of the Angels came down and declared to the character in the story, be still, don't fear, there's peace, relax. What was interesting is they didn't follow up that phrase with, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be perfect. We've got it all figured out. It'll be smooth sailing from this point on. Instead, it was... This understanding that don't fear because God is intimately involved with your life. He so knows you and He knows the situation so well there's no reason to be fearful. He can be trusted. What's interesting is He echoes that statement throughout Scripture again and again and again. For example, in Isaiah 43, he brings up the statement, Fear not. And he tells the people of Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. A little later on in that same section, he tells them that you are precious in my sight. He wants to honor his children, that he loves them, that he seeks to glorify them. If you start thinking through his character and the promises he makes, he says just two chapters earlier in Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In the Psalms, you hear the same thing stated again and again. Things like, God is our shelter and strength. He's always here in the midst of whatever trouble. And then the phrase, 
so we shall not be afraid. This last passage in Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Over and over, there's this anthem in Scripture about the character, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness, the strength, the power of God. Even in Romans 8, you hear that echoed again and again. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with that passage that talks about it doesn't matter, neither height nor depth, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We have nothing to fear. What can man do to us? Because God is present. In Jesus. God is present. And His character is trustworthy. I want to leave you with this Advent poem. Someone wrote a poem a while back focused on this idea of darkness and waiting. Darkness and waiting. And I believe, for me at least, it speaks to these words that help us to understand that regardless of fear, I can walk in discipleship. Regardless of any situation, that it's God's character, it's His qualities, it's His presence with us that changes everything. So let me leave you with these words. When the world was dark and the city was quiet, You came, O God. You crept in beside us. And no one knew, only a few, who dared to believe that God might do something different. Will you do the same this Christmas? Will you come into the darkness of tonight's world, not the friendly darkness, as when sleep rescues us from tiredness, but the fearful darkness, in which people have stopped believing that war will end or that food will come, or that a government will change, or that the church still cares? Will you come into that darkness and do something different to save your people from themselves? Will you come into the quietness of this city, not the friendly quietness, not when lovers hold hands, but the fearful silence when the phone is not rung, The letter has not come, the friendly voice no longer speaks, and the doctor's face says it all. Will you come into that darkness and do something different? Not to distract, but to embrace your people. And will you come into the dark corners and the quiet places of our lives? We ask this not because we are guilt-ridden or want to be, but because the fullness of our lives long for depends on us being as open and vulnerable to you as you were to us when you came, wearing no more than diapers and trusting human hands to hold their maker. Will you come into our lives if we open them to you and do something new? When the world was dark, and the city was quiet, you came. Let's pray.